welcome to season two, episode two of Mets Mafia Pod. I'm CJ Owens. We're very happy to be back. Um, you know, lockout's over. We finally got some baseball and, you know, the pod, podcast kicking off season two, episode two. So I'm going to throw it over to Cunning, let him say hello, and we'll dive right into a little uh, Mets talk tonight. Yeah, it's good to be back post-lockout. Uh, the Mets look ready to go for 2022. This is excited as a first season I've been in a long time. I'm just glad everything worked out because for a while I thought we weren't going to be able to see Mets baseball. Happy to be back, boys. Lockout's finally over. It's time for the best time of the year. Well, let's get back to City Field soon. Hopefully we catch a lot of dubs. Yeah, like they said, we're happy to be back. You know, lockout there. Got hairy for a while. You know, they did cancel um, the first two weekends, the game ends up had to push the season back, but we are getting the full 162 in. Um, so we're all happy to see that. Um, love that for baseball. They really couldn't have afforded um, to have the season be anything less than that. So uh, it's good that they came to agreement. We got spring training underway. Um, first game in Saturday for the Mets. It's not going to be on television, uh, but we're excited to see them back in action for sure. Yeah, I'm glad uh, that we got to this deal at this point because we talked about it. The Mets have, I wouldn't call it necessarily easy schedule because April baseball is always tough, but we got the Nationals and the Diamondbacks early April, so I'm glad we get the full 162 in and we didn't get those games lost. And we get to have Max and Jake get nice and eased in against two easier lineups, which is going to be nice, and all the rest of the boys, but it's uh, hopefully we come out hot and you know we keep that momentum going. I feel like the Mets are always a good first month of the team first month of the season team but they uh they tend to fall off but you know I don't think that's going to happen Mets are historically good on opening day I think the best uh one of the best opening day teams in baseball I'm pretty sure so uh definitely be excited to see that see them back on the field when the games really do count um let's get into the lockout a little first we know they just just ended there um, so they were able to come to agreement, the owners and the player association. That was huge. Um, and honestly, I think that they both started to feel um, the clock start to tick a little bit. I don't think that the players wanted to lose too many games. I don't think the owners did. And then it, things get complicated when they start to cancel games as well, because if they canceled 25 games, Pete would have missed out on, on a year of arbitration. So that would have, um, you know, altered the, uh, his money situation, you know, that, that contract is definitely not something you want to see as far um, from a player side, you know, happened to Chris Bryan with the manipulation of service time. So I'm glad they were able to get a deal done. Um, but do you think that they felt any pressure on the player side uh, with stuff like that or the owner's side that uh, to get a deal done? Or do you think that um, calm heads just prevailed and that's how they were able to get a deal done? Yeah, I agree. I think the players felt the pressure. I don't think the owners so much felt the pressure. I think the players did, especially the ones that aren't making the huge contracts. Like if I'm pretty sure the final vote, every single player representative voted no for the new agreement, which is like Max Scherzer, top guys like that who are making top dollar. But then what came down to was the MLBPA vote, the players approved it. So I think the, the players who are making less money, they wanted to get out there and play because they're losing money. Guys like Max Scherzer, you, you give him credit for what he did. He was sacrificing a lot of money, but he has a lot of money. Guys like that are still in arbitration, they don't have that money yet, and you never know where their career can go. So I think they were feeling the pressure, but the owners, I don't think the owners really felt pressure because April baseball is historically, it's cold. It's not as entertaining necessarily for some people who aren't that into the game. They don't really get a lot of attention in April. Stadiums, for the most part, are empty, especially in the Northeast. And you could get an April ticket for maybe like 
$10, $12. So I think the owners were okay with missing out on April, saving money in terms of paying players. And I just feel like the players really want to get back out there. The whole time I was just in the middle. You kind of understand both sides. But in the end, like you said, calm heads prevailed and we got a deal. Yeah, it's a good point, Connie. Because, like, the way I looked at the lockout was – there's really only like 10, 20% of the league making those millions and millions of dollars, the high money deals, and they're not getting affected by it. It's the guys who are still on arbitration making under or just North of a million. And, you know, like I remember I saw something like Brandon Nimmo just showed up for the meetings and is because the guy like him's eager to play baseball because he's not getting paid yet. And there's, that's the majority of the league. And I understand what they were you know, fighting for to get guys like that more money, which is definitely like, right. I agree on it, but it was going to affect everybody in the long run. And I think the owners were using that a little bit to their advantage thinking, you know, well, if they keep holding out and we won't come to an agreement, we're not going to have to pay them. I think they kind of wanted to use it as leverage and eventually also use it to kind of shorten the season and get their way and prove a point to the players. But all in all, I'm glad they came to an agreement that, you know, the players are happy with, because I was definitely on their side for the whole thing, but uh, we got baseball back at the end of the day. It's all that matters. Yeah, it's a great point, Greg. I was going to bring that up. Um, actually, I was listening to WFAN, and uh, Carton was talking about that, how Nimmo was there as a player rep. Um, and that's kind of the guy you want uh, if you're like one of the guys like Pete Alonzo, one of the guys who hasn't been paid yet. That's one of the guys you kind of want representing you, being your voice, instead of Max Scherzer, who just set the um, got $45 million a year. Like, he doesn't have the same problems as – a Brandon Nimmo and stuff like that. So I think that was a big sticking point as well. Like you said, the, those player representatives voted no. Um, I'm glad they were able to come to an agreement. That was the most important thing there that we didn't lose any games. Um, I also agree with that those owners, definitely there's a, um, a small group of them that definitely are for uh, canceling games and just trying to save the money, whatever the bottom line is, as long as they're turning a profit. I definitely agree with that. So I could see how the owners would use that to their advantage. Um, but it was good to see the players feel like they got the good end of the deal. Um, so hopefully when the CBA ends, we're not in the same point where the players are trying to make up for past CBAs and trying to feel like they have to um, get it all back um, in one try. Yeah, and even the money, you know, it was a lot of negotiations about the money, but we had some historic changes to the game. The DH is finally in the NL, which was overdue. And now we have a different playoff format, which I'm on the fence about. You know, I kind of get their idea behind it, but I was just a big fan of the wild card game. I get it sucked to see a team like the Giants bounce last year, but I thought it adds an intensity and an importance to the regular season where you have to win your division. So we have a new playoff format. We have a DH and, you know, things are going it, to, it's a game changer. You got NL teams now going to get a DH. It's just completely changes the game. Yeah, I'm not too crazy about expanding the playoffs to, to 12 teams. You know, I, I like like you said, Connie, it does kind of emphasize making winning the division a little more important. I mean, obviously, that's everybody's goal at the end of the at the end of the day in the past as it is. But it's kind of like in the NFL, everyone's always fighting to get that one seed, even though they're already a sure thing for the playoffs. Now it's like, OK, you're going to win. You're battling. You're going to make playoffs, but you need that that division win so that you can get home field advantage or what are they doing are they selecting opponents or something now no it's going to be i think the first three teams uh the top team uh teams is the most uh wins they're going to be uh home field or they get a bye 
the top three teams get a bye, Cunny. Is that right? The top two? I think the best way to think about it is the previous NFL playoff format. I think the top two teams are going to get a bye. And then the remaining four teams, so you have the three, four, five, and six seeds. I think it's going to be three against six with three home field advantage, four against five, and three game series. Okay. So, all right. I mean, I don't hate that as much, but I I just – I really hated the idea of going to 14 team because then that's legitimately letting half the league in. And 12 is close to it, but it's not that drastic. Like Honey said, I really liked the the one-game playoff because I thought that was really cool. That was all or nothing. Yeah, it sucks that the Giants were a 100-win team and got bounced right away because they, they ran into a tough team. But, I mean, you know, it, it's good for baseball, I guess. But, you know – it's all about winning the division. So, like you said, that's the most important thing. Yeah, and that was the biggest thing for the owners. They already agreed with the uh, the networks that they were going to have more uh, more playoff games. That's what the networks wanted. So, MLB agreed. The owners agreed that they were going to give them that. So, if the players really wanted to make the owners hurt, that's where they could have kind of stick uh, could have sticked it to them. And I think they did for a little while, and that's how they were able to get some more things out of negotiation. For so good for them. But yeah, like you said, twelve team playoff. Um, I'm for it. I think playoff baseball is fantastic. The one thing I would say, um, baseball is 162 game season for a reason. Every one of those games, at the long run, it's supposed to count. Like when baseball, I mean, we're obviously far off from that, but it used to only just be the two teams that won um, the National League pennant, the AL pennant. There was no, just they played in the World Series. So it's come a long way since that. Playoffs have expanded. Um, but I think it makes the regular season mean a little less. It's good that they do have those two teams that get the bye. Um, so you're still fighting for first place. Um, but you would hate to see those September games start to not mean anything because they've tried for so long um, to replicate what the Rays did all those years ago when they got in on that last day of the season. And they've been trying for so long trying to get stuff like that. That's why they went to that one-game playoff. Um, but now there's no even uh, – if you get tied after 162, they just go to the NFL format um, for seeding. There's not going to be a – game 163 for uh, tiebreakers either so that's interesting as well yeah and i just want to correct this real quick we were talking about how the giants got bounced but the issue was the giants or the dodgers one of them was going to have to play in the wild card game i'm pretty sure the cardinals wound up going against the dodgers in the wild card game and i remember wainwright pitch because i hate that guy and the cardinals got bounced but still that's the issue right there it's the issue that we had a 104 win team playing in the wild card game but uh, CJ, I like your point about the receipt. I always liked game 163. I thought that was an awesome aspect to the game. It was like bonus playoff baseball. But also on the flip side, the thing about the new playoff format is if you get that two seed, that is a huge advantage. You don't have to be the absolute best team in your league, which is very hard to do. If you get the two seed, let's say you're the New York Mets. Obviously, we're thinking way optimistically right now. But if they get a bye in the first round, and then you have to win two series to get to the uh, World Series with DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett. I mean, that's a huge advantage. So it, it could go both. I do think the 14 team would have been absolutely terrible, but I think the 12 team could work out. I like the format. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I had the NLDS and the wild card mixed up. That's my bad. But uh, that NLDS was a good series. That's what I was thinking about. That, that wild card game was kind of forgettable a little bit, but – I mean, yeah, like you said, you kind of hit the nail on the head. 14 would have been too much. But now the more I think about it, I kind of like it. But as long as they don't expand it anymore, I did not want to see 162 get taken away, though. There's so much chatter about people wanting to shortening, shorten the season. But that's just not baseball. It's not how it always was played. And that's it's a game of longevity. They, you know, managing a roster for that long and getting to the playoffs based off that is is very important. And 
it takes away, I mean, I hate bringing them up, but a team like the Nationals in, in 2019, who were in July, like what, 10 games under 500 almost, and then they turned it around and became a World Series winner. So you got to still keep that element alive in baseball because that's just one example. There's tons of teams always like that. It's, that's what the sport is. I think changes are good. I think this uh, game definitely needed some. So uh, good to see they're going in that direction, trying to modernize it um, a little bit. Uh, that's huge. I think one thing that is a negative for us as Mets fans um, from the new agreement is the Steve Cohen tax, what they're calling it. Uh, they added a fourth layer to that um, that tax threshold there, the luxury tax. So if they do go over that, there will be even more severe penalties. Um, that's how it goes. Uh, the higher you go above the luxury tax, now there will be more severe penalties. Instead of up, oh, you go over it, you play one fat flat fee. Now it's going to be um, incremental value. It's going to keep going up uh, when you get to that fourth tier there. So the Mets, who have been primed to spend so far under Steve Cohen, especially this offseason, that could be a detriment. I know Steve has come out and said that he doesn't really care for it. Um, he has the money, so good, good for him. But definitely not uh, – not something we wanted to see. We knew that there were some owners trying to get stuff like that. We know some owners didn't want Steve uh, to even have the Mets. So uh, we weren't surprised by um, that. But it is kind of disconcerting that it was put into the CBA uh, for Steve there and for us as Mets fans. Yeah, it's just – it's straight-up bullshit, man. I mean, the Mets are now a powerhouse, and now this comes out. And let's not act like other teams haven't gone over $300 million payrolls. Steve Cohen wasn't welcomed into the league with the whole owner vote. We remember how big of a disaster that was. People have it out for this guy because they know he's a threat. So it feels great to be a Mets fan, to have a threat leading your franchise. But the tax, it's just BS. I mean, the Mets are dropping money finally for the first. We've had to go through so many years of misery, and now we have an owner with deep pockets, and they put this rule in place. He says it doesn't bother him, but we've seen them kind of shy away a little bit from the free agency market. I, I think it doesn't bother him, but you don't know. It could be playing it could be playing a role. And I just I think it's BS. Yeah, I, I definitely it's not ideal for us. I know our payroll's already pretty high, so it's kind of limiting us already, you know, for the rest of free agency right now and what we can do. And it's gonna probably affect extensions going forward too with the rest of the current roster. But it's just nice to be on the other end of the stick for once. You know, we have a guy who's actually willing to spend opposed to the Wilpons who never were willing to spend. Our biggest signings were dog, were dog shit. And we were getting excited over like B, C grade guys. Now we're getting stars. And Steve, you know, he says he's, he's it's not going to stop him. I believe him. You know, obviously there's going to be limitations. He's not going to go and get a $350 million payroll, but it's just nice to finally be one of the, the powerhouse spending teams of the league that with an owner who's not afraid to do it and in the front office who's going to go after big targets to help us win. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, what you would say, what from what you said, Cunny, I don't think that uh, – I personally don't think that he's afraid, but I think the reason why they're kind of – the free agency is kind of slowed because we have gotten – to a point where we are above the luxury tax. I don't think he wants to spread himself too thin um, during the season where he can't make a move to go get a guy that would bring us over the top who's maybe making a lot of money. So I think that's probably why the spending um, has uh, free agency has kind of slowed down in the trade uh, market. The rumor mill in that end has heated up for us because uh, like I said, I just don't think that he wants to go too far above the luxury tax right now on the season before the season starts, I should say. That's definitely a good point. You got to leave yourself some uh, leeway. 
at the trade deadline. But while we're on the topic of Steve Cohen, let's talk real quick about the names that he's had come through since he took over. It's been one year. In one year, we've had Francisco Lindor, Javier Baez, and Max Scherzer come through our clubhouse. I mean, what else could we ask for as Met fans? He's King Steve, baby. Yeah, sir. Sure, uh, I'll, I'll drink to that. <laughs> and not to mention the guys we brought in uh, this offseason, too, and, and another guy in Bassett with the trade, which is uh, another huge pickup. But it's, it's a whole different vibe of creating a roster opposed to what we were used to in the past. Like, I was just watching a Mets classic earlier of the 2016 team, and we had a great season 2016, but there's guys in the lineup like Neil Walker, you know, Lucas Duda batting five, like as Drupal, as great as he was for us. Like those guys, it's not, you know, it's not ideal you're building your team around them. Now we're deep, one through eight, well, no, one through nine in the order now, I should say, and our bench is pretty good, opposed to where our, our bench guys have been middle or top of the order for the last couple of years. It's, it's a whole different energy to the structure of the team. No, absolutely. Like you said, we had those guys batting four or five. Those were some dark, dark days. So we've definitely come a long way, like Tony said, bringing in Baez um, for that little bit. Scherzer is going to be here for a while and Dora is going to be here for 10 years. Um, so that is night and day from what we had from the Wilpons for sure. Um, another guy, like you said, we brought in Chris Bassett. I absolutely love that trade. Um, I think that we highlighted it on the lockout episode. We talked about a possible um, Chris Bassett, Matt Chapman trade. Um, so that Matt Tatman part didn't come through, but we did get Chris Bassett. So that is huge. Uh, I love him. I think he's a great number three, especially just to add to the depth of the rotation, makes it that much um, deeper. But one thing I am concerned about, we were talking about before we went on, I don't know if he's pitched since he got hit in the head. So like that is something, I mean, maybe it's not something, but you know, that's got to give you a little cause for concern to get hit with a hundred something uh, line drive right back at you. That's, that's got to scare you a little bit. So um, we'll see how he bounced back from that. But I definitely do love the trade and excited to see him in that uniform. Yeah, I love Chris Bassett. Uh, there were some rumors about uh, Cincinnati Reds. We were going to deal for uh, one of their starting pitchers, but I wasn't crazy about him. There was a couple guys all over the block, but I feel like Bassett was the best get. And Steve Cohen went out and got him and Sandy Alderson and Billy Epler. I thought they traded JT Jim, which is it's a fair trade. But Chris Bassett for the Mets, what he's going to bring is he's going to be a reliable number three. CJ, I agree with you that, you know, that's a scary injury. Whenever a pitcher gets hit in the head, it could mess with their psyche, whatever. But he's been consistent now for three, four years with a, somewhere in the three-year A, and he was pitching damn good before he got hit in the head. So I, I have faith in him to bounce back. Uh, one thing that stuck out to me, too, is Bob Melvin, who's a very well-respected manager, uh, applauded him on how much of a clubhouse guy he is, how he's a great leader, how he always has the right attitude. And last year we had problems with our clubhouse. We had problems with attitudes. This year we brought in a guy like Max Scherzer, who is a win-it-all-cost type guy. And then Chris Bassett. you got two great clubhouse guys in the staff. They're well-respected. They deserve the respect they get. I feel like we took the right route this offseason. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a huge fan of the Bassett deal. You know, he was, he was one of my aces in fantasy baseball for the last two years. So, you know, it has a special place in my heart there. But the guy in the last two years, if you look at him, was top 10 in Cy Young voting for, for the past few years. I mean, the 60-game season was the first one where he really broke out. Guy had a 2.29 ERA in 63 innings. And last year, even with the, you know, line drive to the Dome and missed about a month, month and a half, he still pitched 157 innings, 3.15 ERA. Like, the guy's finally coming to his own and – 
you, you hear nothing but good things about him. Like Connie said, all his old teammates and coaches have all good things to say. And he's got like that bulldog person personality on the mound, which, you know, we already have too, but to add another one in like that, it's just, it's tremendous for, for the time when it comes to playoffs, you know, but just for throughout the season, he's had good longevity. Like he had, he hasn't really gotten hurt in the last couple of years, but except for that freak injury. So I, I hope it doesn't affect him much. You know, guys have gotten hit in the dome a lot and been able to come back. So, you know, let's hope it's the same thing. But I really did like that. I know we said we were thinking we were going to get Matt Chapman in the trade too back on the last one. I was never crazy about Matt Chapman. He's He had a little bit of a down year last year and the year before. He was kind of sloping. Now, he's still a good player, but I think the reason we didn't go after him is because we got Beatty on the way up soon. So there's really no need. And we got guys at 3B and we had Escobar too. So it's like... It would have gotten a little too crowded. Obviously, you can never have too much talent, but why get another corner guy when when you got Beatty, who's going to be our prized possession, along with Alvarez coming up soon? Yeah, great points, Greg. I do agree. Um, and then, no, like we said about Bassett, I'm very happy to have him. Um, big trade there. Hope all is well. Can't wait to see him rocking the number 40 jersey for the Mets. Um, one thing that I did want to pick your two brains about was what, what do we think about Jeff? Um, JD Dom going forward. I know we mentioned on the lockout pod, we thought they could be traded. We have spoken about um, now just recently that the rumor mill trade market has heated up for us. So I'm very curious what you, uh, to see what you guys have to say about that right there. Yeah, so JD, Jeff, and Dom, man. I mean, I love those three guys. They've been a part of the Mets turnaround. But you still kind of get the idea that maybe two of them could be flipped in the coming days right before the season starts or they could be on the roster. But if my personal opinion is they're going to, what I would like them to do is use one of them in a deal for a top notch reliever. Like haters always been available, but we actually talked about how I think Greg mentioned how it doesn't really make much sense for the Brewers to deal hater right now, but he's always been available and you never know. But the fact that he, none of them were in the A's deal, they would rather give up a prospect in JT Jen and give away one of those three guys. Maybe the A's weren't interested in them, but if you're telling me the athletics weren't interested in Dom Smith, but uh, maybe the deal just didn't work out. I really, I can't get a grasp of what the Mets plan is with them, but what I would personally want is to definitely keep number one priority, Dom Smith. I think Dom Smith is the most prime for bounce back year. I think he's the most pure hitter. He has power, can hit for average. When McNeil, I, I really like McNeil, I do but he didn't really get along with Lindor last year. That's our new cornerstone. Uh, he, his approach looked real bad last year. He was pulling out on everything, trying to pull the ball when he's a contact hitter. I do think McNeil could still be a great player, but I feel like Dom's got the higher ceiling. I would like to hold on to Dom. And J.D., to me, I love J.D., but he's last out of three. If there's one guy I could trade, it would be J.D. Davis. Like I said, if they're going to make a trade, I don't think it's going to be for a starting pitcher because you got a real good top three, and then you got depth and – Walker, Peterson, McGill, Carrasco, and their lineup. They said in free agency they're not really interested in adding a big bat. So I'm trying to think of what big bat you would even trade for. So in my mind, the most logical trade would be for a big-time reliever like Josh Hader. Yeah, I like what you said there, Connie, about how it, it seems like they're more inclined to trade prospects rather than their MLB-ready guys. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm glad they did that in a sense, you know, because at the end of the day, you need depth in the league and you know in 162 guys are going to get hurt uh i know i know covid's not as big an issue as it was last year but the mets were so banged up last year i was so sick and tired of seeing 
Janeshwi Vargas, Travis Blankenhorn, Khalil Lee, guys like that in the lineup. And it was it was awful to watch. So to hold on to Jeff, Dom, JD as your rotational bench guys, and I mean, one or two of them is going to be starting almost every day too, but to have them as your reliable secondary guys is tremendous because that's better depth than a lot of other teams have. So I think that's the main reason they decided to hold on to them. Um, I, I mean, I expect bigger years from all three of them, to be honest, because they were all, I mean, JD was pretty solid. He was hurt for a while. And then he was like a little hit or miss at the end of the year. Jeff was God awful, to be honest. And he had a couple small flashes and, and Dom was big, was extremely disappointing coming off that 60 game season. But, you know, Dom, I have faith in, he's got a pretty swing. He's, he's, He's improved so much over the last couple of years, and I, I think he can find more of that form. I'm a little biased with Jeff because he's one of my favorite players. I hate him cha- him changing his number from six to one. I just bought a number six jersey. It's an absolute killer. But Jeff, I still have faith in because he's still – it's not like he's looking lost at the plate. Yeah, his swing looks gross. He's getting out in front, yanking stuff, not going all over the field like he's meant to do. But I'm a believer that his bat-to-ball skills are still there. And he just needs to find the groove and find the approach again. And then he'll get, he, listen, I don't think he's ever going to be that 300, 310 hitter that we all saw for that flash, but I think he can get back to a nice 270, 280, maybe 290 at his best and be an important scrappy hitter for us at the bottom of the order. Cause it seems like he's going to be hitting down there. He could be an awesome nine hitter if he's playing two B every day at the end of the day, but at the same time, they all, they all could be uh, trade pieces. So, you know, if they're going to get us, a reliever that's going to put us over the top. I, we're not going to get another pitcher uh, in the staff at this point, but if they can get us something really good, yeah, I'm not going to be upset about it, but I still have faith in the three of them. I think they're going to play an important role for us this year. Yeah, I think that was all well said. Um, I mean, you guys kind of hit the nail on that. I think it was a very good point that you brought up, honey. Greg, you hit on it as well. Um, they traded the prospects instead of the guys that were major league ready. Like you said, I don't think Dom in a Chris Bassett deal kind of makes sense. I think Dom's value is more than that, especially with Chris Bassett being a free agent at the end of this year. But yeah, like you said, for the athletics, not to pick or pry any of Jeff, JD, or Dom, maybe it wasn't the right deal. Bassett's value doesn't match up with that because he's a free agent maybe, but for them to trade the prospects, that was interesting. I think that is good. You keep the depth at the major league level. Like you said, guys get hurt and we will need um, that depth throughout the season. Guys need to step up. Um, one thing, Greg, you did give a little, uh, give a little hate to Khalil Lee. I guarantee one time this year, you're going to be signing Khalil Lee text message in all caps with group chat. I guarantee it. The guy went back down, killed triple A. I really hope he's not a quadruple uh, a guy, just career minor league dude. He showed some promise. He went back down to AAA. I mean, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of boat his first couple of weeks when he came up for the Mets. So he was definitely lost. Went back down AAA. Seemed to get his footing. So I think him and Nick Plummer, they definitely have some competition out there for like fifth outfielder. Uh, I don't know if Nick Plummer actually has any um, major league op- uh, minor league options. Did we get him Rule Five, or did they just sign him to a minor league deal? Might have been minor league deal, but. Uh, so I think that's how, so maybe he does have some options. It was definitely was not rule five, um, but we'll definitely see some of them. So I'm excited for spring training, you know, get to see all the young guys, but Greg, you definitely will be sending a clear lead text message, all caps in the group chat when my man hit the bomb. I do want to send my apologies to Khalil. I actually was a big fan when they were able to sneak in that three-team trade that sent, uh, I think it was Benintendi to to the Royals, and that's how we got him. I was a fan of it at the time. 
I do. I, 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 I take back putting him in the, with the likes of Travis Blankenhorn. That's, that was a mistake. He's definitely not that level, but and you're right. Foggy. He did have some play. Yeah. And, and Joe Neshwi, Joe Hennessy over there, but uh, you know, Khalil, you know, he's, yeah, he, he's got a little pop. So we'll see. Maybe he could be that guy to bounce up and down and provide something. Yeah. A little swing man. That's his nickname. A little swing man. But I did, thing. I did just want to hop in, my bad, Cody. I'm not as big as trading for Hater as you guys. I think Chavin or one of those other lefty relievers still in the market could do. I know Hater is great. I think he is a fantastic pitcher. One, I think the price is probably going to be too high. And two, we've been down that road kind of with DS. Not that DS is awful, but to pay the premium for a relief pitcher – they're all extremely volatile, unless their name is Mariano Rivera, basically. I mean, even Kenley Jansen's falling back down to earth after his few ridiculous years. So I'd kind of stay away from the relief picture, hater there. Um, but I definitely do think that they could um, upgrade um, the bullpen, um, especially in the trade department. Um, but hater would not be my first guy. I mean, not he's a fantastic pitcher, but I kind of am just uh, a little afraid of that just based on uh, what we've seen in the past. I definitely, I definitely agree with your point there. I mean, relief pitchers are risky, but my argument on behalf of Hater is one: Brad Hand got six million dollars. So we were just talking about how Steve Cohen's gonna, you know, can't go too much higher. How much is he gonna have to pay a guy like Chafin? Chafin might hit double digits. You're gonna pay a guy, you're gonna pay Chafin double digits, but then you're worried about trading for Hater, which it could be a big return, but then. You know what, if you have Diaz and Hayter late games after Scherzer goes seven, DeGrom goes seven, Bassett goes seven, sounds good to me, man. So I would maybe think about even giving up the big haul just because I'm not big of a fan of Hayter. I think Hayter's – I love Diaz, but I think Hayter's better than Diaz. I think you guys would agree. And I think we would have a lockdown under the bullpen. But on the flip, if we do not trade J.D., Dom, or Jeff, I want to throw this out there. What are the chances those three are going to have as bad as a season as they had last year? I think it's very slim. I, I think it's only up for them. And if they go up, the team's performance goes up because they're role players. They're not our star players. If we get guys like them providing, we're in real good shape. Yeah, I've kind of just about had the hater talks. I mean, let, let's be honest. The Brewers just won the division. They're probably the candidate to win it again if them are the Cardinals. And why would they trade their all-star closer, guy who's been one of the best in the league? It just doesn't make sense. Listen, he's unbelievable, but – I, like CJ said, I'm not trying to trade another another Diaz situation where we get banged by it. But I think, like Honey said, there's other lefties. Yeah, Chafin might go for a higher role, but you'll, you, you, CJ said they're very volatile. There's going to be a guy who's going to step up this year and be a go-to lefty target, even another righty. There's going to be somebody throughout the year in the trade deadline that the Mets will go and make a move for. I mean, a name we constantly bring up, we have since last year, is Taylor Rodgers on the Twins. I think that's a guy they could go out and go after. The Twins are very much on, like, this fire sale, but not. They're, like, getting guys, and then they're they're giving away guys. So you don't really know what they're doing. I feel like they're going to go for it, but they're going to still try and get some value. So why not trade a guy like Rodgers, who's been kind of sought out after? They could get something for him to help with them maybe a little bit in the future or an MLB-ready guy. I think that's a guy I'd want to target after, to be honest. And that, one thing I want to throw out, I'm sorry, CJ, because uh, we talked about it on our pre-lockout pod, was Aaron Loop departing. He got – everyone called it a lot of money. He got $8.5 He got two years, $17 million with the Angels. But then you got a guy like Brad Hand signing for $6 million. I still think the Mets messed up on that. You got a guy who goes out, there's a .95 ERA. I know relievers are volatile, but 
I can't argue with the 0.95 ERA. I, I think the Mets mm-hmm. should have still took a shot to get him back. I still think that was a mistake. Yeah, hindsight is right. Yeah, I remember when it first came out, I wasn't crazy, but I said, Lou, that's a lot of money for him. But like you said, retrospect, hindsight is 2020. Brad Hand getting $6 million. He was not great for us, really. So I definitely could see, um, like you said, the market has gone, so maybe Chafin does get more money. Um, you know, I don't think that door is closed. I know that uh, we were talking about it before on the pod, Greg, so they brought in Mike Montgomery. I know Alex Claudio, lefty, also um, is at spring training for us as well. Um, so maybe they just do another minor thing like that. Um, but like you said, I think if they are going to add, would you, all right, so would you say that they're going to be more likely to add a hater guy, Taylor Rogers? So I think, Greg, that's a great um, point that you brought up, Taylor Rogers. He's a fantastic pitcher. Um, do you think they'd rather they would be more likely to do something like that or bring in another like depth guy, uh, maybe under Chafin to go along with Claudio Montgomery? Not that I think those guys are making the roster per se, um, but with Peterson maybe pitching out of the bullpen now as well, because we have another starter with Bassett. What do you guys think about that? Do you think they're going to go go for it all like a rock star knockout left handed uh, reliever, or do you think they're okay with third house options, maybe just one or two depth guys? Because, like we said, they're volatile. Maybe you strike the iron when it's hot. This guy has a great year, like Loop did. Boom, you get a you make off like a bandit. I kind of think it's going to be a little bit of both. Um, with the current, you know payroll situation i can't see us spending eight or nine maybe even ten if he's going to get it a million on a guy like chafin because he's coming off an awesome year i think they might do what you said and get some sort of lefties for depth see who shows something in spring who can make the roster and then like i was alluding to before make a move maybe not till trade deadline but during the year and get a guy that's more bona fide give those guys a chance you know i mean another lefty we can throw into the mix in the pen because we don't know what we're going to get from him is Lucchese. I don't think he's going to find a spot in the rotation. Maybe he can turn it to some sort of a bullpen arm. I, I know he's not that great, but he's a lefty. You know, ever it's it's important to have some some in there. Um, yeah, I just I I, I agree. Luke was a, was a tough get. I know I was talking about you at uh, in the chat with you guys the other day. I was not happy about it because I see all these guys going. It. It's like we had him. He was coming off a good year, but I and I really liked Luke, so that one kind of hurt. But you know, eh. Speaking of relievers, though, I'm not going to miss him. Jury's familia, Philadelphia Philly. So we bid farewell to him. He wasn't really, you know, that great for us at the end, but he had those good years for us in 15. He was unbelievable. And, you know, it just sucks to see him going to, to a rival in the division. You know, I, I wish him farewell, but not against us. Uh, and another guy we picked up was uh, Adam Adovino. I know I, I don't think you guys are too high on him. I, I still have a little bit of faith in Adovino. I know CJ said he's probably going to take over that familiar type role. And I think that's actually a good role for him to have. You know, he's not going to be pitching in high leverage spots and key games, but you need a, an experienced reliever like that. And he's still got a nasty slider. So I think he's going to be somewhat useful to, to the club. Yeah, Greg, good points. Um, Brad Hand also went to Philadelphia, Hand and Familia, to be honest. Not gonna, I love Familia for what he did for our franchise as a whole. But if you're talking about his current departure, I'm just happy we get to hit against him and Brad Hand. Um, Pete's going to take him to Pittsburgh. Um, and Adam Adovino, I'm not a huge Adam Adovino guy, but the deal was cheap. It was like $4 million, I'm pretty sure. So why not take the risk? And I just want to clarify one thing I've been saying. I'm pro Josh Hader. But I was saying that in context of who I think J.D., Dom, Jeff could get traded for if that deal were to happen. 
I think the right move to make right now is to get Andrew Chafin because in his respect, he pitched in the ones last year in terms of ERA. And I think that that could be our Aaron Loop because Aaron Loop would come into big time moments last year and get out. We need a lefty reliever. You got guys like uh, Greg mentioned, Mike Montgomery, Lucchese, another low key guy is Thomas Zapucky. So I just think we need Andrew Chafin to come in and just be a sure thing in that role. No, yeah, I definitely agree. Add the pucky in there. We have some depth because we're going to have so many starters, so there are going to be guys um, that could be looked at for that left-hand role there, so I think that is good. Um, and I think what we want to do for the rest of the episode, kind of just go around the league, um, check in what's going on there. You know, we got uh, Matt Olson trades the Braves, uh, Freeman, so that means Freddie Freeman will be gone, Mets killer, so we're glad to see him go. Uh, hopefully he goes far, far away somewhere in the American League where we won't have to see too much. I know they said the schedule will change. So you're going to play every team at least once during this um, next year, starting in 2023. But uh, it won't be as many times as he was on the Braves. So it's good to see Freeman gone. But, you know, Olsen, they just signed him up to that extension as well. So now they'll have Acuna, Ozzy Albies, and uh, Matt Olsen up at that top of the lineup basically for the next decade or so. So that's something that's not really great for our Mets We have great pitchers right now, so that's uh, good. But the Braves are going to be a problem definitely for us for the next decade. So I wanted to hear what you guys had to say about that as well. Thank the Lord Freddie Freeman is out of the division, man. And I'm glad that hopefully we'll be able to root for him now because he's always been such a stand-up guy in the league. And even though he's been a rival and a killer of ours, he's such a fun guy to root for. Like, he's such a talented ball player. So – you know, I'm, I'm just hoping he goes to the AL. You know, if he goes to the Dodgers, that's still not ideal. We might have to face them down the road. But, uh, yeah, Matt Olson, he's a good ball player. You know, he's the slight downgrade from Freeman, but he's going to be a killer. Another guy with the Braves that they got for the future is Alex Riley. So they're still always going to be a threat. Braves always hit. They're, they're young. They're going to be there for a while. So that's why the Mets are stocking up on this pitching. But, you know, like we were going around the league, a move that I personally kind of killed me to see because I know his name was being thrown around the deadline last year for the Mets. Not so much this year. He wouldn't make sense. But seeing Josh Donaldson go to the Yankees was such a killer for me. He's always been one of my favorite players. Hated seeing him go to the Yankees. Now, I can't, I'm not going to be able to root for him. But uh, I thought that was an interesting move uh, just in baseball. Before you get started there, Cunning, I just wanted to hop in. Greg Men, Austin Riley, not Alex Riley. Alex Riley, former purchase baseball coach. <laughs> yeah. Greg was a Austin big fan Riley. of him, so he had to make sure that uh, he got him into the, tonight's show, so that's why he said that. Yeah, um, the Braves, the Braves are a threat. They're a very competent franchise. They've done things very well. you got to give them a little respect, even though I hate them. But I do think Matt Olson, the trade is overshadowing Freddie Freeman's departure because Matt Olson is good, but he's not no Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman's been a, he's been an MVP candidate for the past three years in a row, man. He's carried that Braves team. I know they got guys like Acuna and Albies, but he's been Mr. Consistent. He plays in every single game and he's always providing. So I'm happy to see him leave. He's uh, like we said, hopefully he doesn't go to the Dodgers because I hate the Dodgers. And, um, if he goes to the Yankees, I'd be even more upset, but that looks unlikely. But um, hopefully he goes to a team like Toronto, like you said, where we don't have to worry about him. And uh, the Braves are going to be our number one competition. The Phillies are being aggressive, but the Braves are that team that's going to give us trouble. they got a very good roster, and um, Phillies are aggressive after guys like maybe KB, Schwarber. You know, Bryce is trying to get that front office to make moves to be contenders. So the NL East is not going to be an easy win. And one more thing about Freeman, it's just as a baseball fan, 
it, it blows my mind how like if I'm a Braves fan, I'm pissed about them getting rid, like letting Freddie walk. Like that's your your franchise guy that you've had from the start. Like that would be almost like the Mets not extending David Wright and bringing him back or like the Cincinnati Reds not bringing back Joey Votto when he was in his prime like those are the moves that as a fan that really make you get angry because like yeah you you didn't want to spend a little extra for Freddie and but you traded your whole farm to get a slight downgrade and you extended him right away but you could have spent a little bit more for Freddie who's your guy and the number one it, it just I know Braves fans probably aren't too thrilled about that. So if that's something like that, that'd be like the Mets not, not making a push for DeGrom after this year, you know? So that just was very, very odd to me. I mean, good for them. They replaced him with somebody solid, but I didn't like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's a good move for the Braves. I mean, you get younger at the position, you lock the guy up. It was eight years, 168, I think he got. So, you know, that's, uh, average annual value that's going to be much less than what Freeman will get so I think it was a good move for the Braves there um, to reshore up the position uh, did have to give up a lot you know Patchy they did like him they wanted him to, him and Acuna to be running mates in the outfield there so um, but that just shows you how much they like Olsen it was going to take a big package to get him uh, the Athletics got a big package so I'm excited to see those prospects go over there um, yeah Matt Olsen in division for the next eight years or so that's not going to be too much fun um, but, you know, like I said, I think we have the pitching to combat that. Uh, I think we've done real well um, developing our pitching, hopefully. Uh, you know, but one thing I did want to get to, I did bring it up, Greg, to DeGrom. I think, honestly, this past season was worst-case scenario for what um, the Mets were looking for from DeGrom and DeGrom in general, because now they go into this season, basically his walk year. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Everybody knows he'd opt out, especially with the money Scherzer just got. So now you know you have to pay DeGrom basically what you paid Scherzer because they're on the same team. You know, he's going to feel some type of way, even if he says he doesn't. You know, he's DeGrom, best pitcher in baseball. You got a guy that's, that you're better than, making more money than you. That's going to make you feel some type of way. So now DeGrom basically in a walk year, what if he does the same thing, goes out and throws 60, 70 innings, not still hurt there? You know, that is fingers. Obviously, we do not want that. But, you know, if that happens again and he asks for the same money, what does the Mets do? You know, that's a tough position because there is a chance that some team off injury would give him close to whatever money he wants to. Now, will Steve Cohen do it with all the other guys? I mean, he hasn't shown us any reason not to. But I do think um, that this kind of was worst-case scenario for the Mets and DeGrom coming into a season where he is going to be a free agent, walk year, and we don't have a deal in place. Because if he pitched well last year, we'd probably already have an extension hammered out. Because that would just be not hurt, boom, we'd have that deal done. Now with all the question marks, it's going to linger for most of the season. So what do you guys think about that? I think that is a scary thought. Scary thought. But I have faith in Jake. I think Jake really likes being a New York Met. We've heard a bunch about – he said a couple times how he wants to be a Met for his career. I know he idolized a guy like David Wright because he saw the type of send-off that David Wright got from New York when he retired. And back when that happened, he said he wanted the same thing for his future. But you're right, CJ. We paid Scherzer a shit ton of money, and why shouldn't DeGrom want the same exact thing? And then we got a guy like DeGrom and Scherzer making that much money. And then Lindor's not too far behind either with his $30 million. So we want to talk about payroll concerns. We're going we're gonna to have an issue or two, you know? So it's a little concerning. I don't even want to think about that yet. So it's, it's a scary thought. Definitely a scary thought, not something I want to think about. But the way I look at it is 
you know, DeGrom's always been, you know, a mild manner, more uh, reserved guy and, you know, not a social media guy, keeps to himself. So you don't really see it. doesn't show a lot of emotion when he's on the mound or even off the field or anything. But I really do think he appreciates being a New York Met. And I think he, like Connie said, he might want to be a Met for life. I know he's alluded to it. It'd be really cool to see, he said. But, you know, <clears throat> for a guy that, you know, at the end of the day, really wasn't supposed to be what Jacob deGrom is. You know, he came up a little late, came up out of nowhere, was a shortstop in college, and now he's the best pitcher in the league, you know, 10, 15 years later. You know, so I think he's a guy who kind of appreciates how he came up, where he came up, and what the team and the organization has done for him, what the fan base has done for him, the love they give him, the respect they gave him before he was the best pitcher in the league, and when he was and is. So it, I think a guy like DeGrom will, will do that as long as the Mets show up with the money, because he will be asking for the same Max Scherzer money, and we're going to have to be shelling out $80 million for the two of them for the future if we want him. And Steve, like we said, might be willing to pay that money. And I think that's another contributing factor as to why the Mets might not be spending for a big free agent right now, or might, we might not see the action we want to see at the deadline because it's all going to be worth it in the long run because we need our guy. Jake is our, he's our franchise guy. I know we got a lot of them, you know, Pete's the heart and soul fan favorite. Lindor is a franchise guy. Scherzer is a headline guy, but Jake was, you know, the first star that we've had on this roster and we got to make him happy at all costs, like we would a, a David Wright at the time. What I was saying was, you know, I think this is why they say Mets fans can never have anything nice. Because we have this nice offseason where we bring in Scherzer, but I lose sleep at night wondering what happens if DeGrom pitches 60 innings and then opts out and wants $40 million. And then I'm sitting here stuck crying, big sad fan. But, um, you know, I like you said, good point, Greg. I think that um, one thing DeGrom has said in the past, I don't know the exact quote, but he wants to be like an upper echelon, like tier one Hall of Famer. He just doesn't want to be a Hall of Fame guy. He wants to be like a tier one, like one of those greatest of all time Hall of Famers. And I think that something that we have on our side for this is if you play with one team your whole career, that definitely helps your Hall of Fame out and that puts you, um, I think that helps your tier, helps your status in the Hall of Fame. You do everything for one team. So I think that is on our side. I think DeGrom could take a little hometown discount, but I think he wants his near Scherzer dollar there, especially when the guys on the team, you got Steve Cohen, the owner, he's going to shell out the money um, or he has shelled out the money so far. Um, like you said, DeGrom's been our guy. He's been that homegrown guy, got with us through the Will Ponds. So I think that he's going to want to be rewarded, even if we're not paying him for what he will do. Uh, he's going to want to be paid for what he's done in the past, I feel like. So I think either way, uh, he's going to get his money. Hopefully it's a great, healthy season. But these are things that I wish think about. CJ, that's a great point about the Hall of Fame, man. Um, you're right. That goes a long way. If you say one team, and especially a team like the Mets. He did not go through easy years with the Mets. And now when you're talking about Hall of Fame, what also looks good are World Series rings. And the Mets are now a contender to deliver him that in the next five years. Because Steve Cohen's going to try and compete every year. I think the days of the Mets not being contender are over. I think that's not the standard anymore. We got young talent coming up. It's not even like we're screwed for the future. So if you're Jake DeGrom, why not stay with the New York Mets if they pony up the money? And like you mentioned, Jacob DeGrom never really brought it. I mean, listen, I think he's making like $30 million this year. That's it's not a cheap contract, but it was backloaded. He was taken in. He didn't sign as big of a contract as a lot of people would think he would have back four year, three, four years ago when he did. 
he deserves the money. So I really hope the Mets do because he's, in my opinion, the absolute best pitcher in baseball. And he's been the best pitcher in baseball for a couple of years now. And he's just a joy to watch. And he's the type of guy that I really want for him to be a Met for life. And I hope we could see his number up in City Field one day. Yeah, like you said, Connie, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to winning. If he really wants to be that top tier, like Hall of Fame guy, he's going to want to pitch in playoff baseball. You know, he, he had a good run in 2015 with the Mets and he didn't even get a taste in 16 because Thor threw that wild card game. But it really comes down to how the Mets do this year. If they can compete and be a playoff team and he gets more, more playoff atmosphere baseball, he's going to want to stay. But if the Mets go out and lay another dud of the season and don't even make the playoffs, that's not going to help our case to bring him back if he truly wants to be that type of Hall of Famer. You know, I can't wait to see DeGrom out this year at City Field. I did not get to see any DeGrom starts last year with the ticket package I had. Um, I had one, but I was away, so I was not able to make it. So I'm definitely excited to see DeGrom, love DeGrom. Like you said, hopefully his 48 is up in the Raptors someday. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, I think this is a uh, question. Do you think DeGrom, uh, to stay healthy this year, for obviously that's the key. He stays healthy. He's going to be successful. That's number one. Do you think he needs to uh, change the way he pitches at all? Or do you think he can still go balls to the wall? Um, I know he doesn't have too much mile, uh, mileage on his arm. He was a late bloomer in college, played the, uh, was a position player. Um, so he does have less tread on his arm. He still is um, getting up there in age, but does have less tread than a guy uh, same age who's been a uh, pitcher all throughout. So do you guys think he needs to change the way he pitches at all? Or can he still go balls to the wall? And I personally think that's kind of what led to the arm issues. Maybe he was, he's trying to go too much too soon. Because every pitch was 100. We've never seen that, like, at all. And he was just blown guys away. And I think maybe that contributed to it. Do you guys think he needs to change the way he pitches at all, maybe leave something in the tank a little bit? Or do you think he still can go out, throw 100 every pitch, and pitch a full season, 200 innings, and uh, deep into the playoffs? Yeah, that's a great point. You're right. He was throwing over 100 miles per hour, like, every pitch, man. He, uh, the stat in the MLB is not even close to pitches thrown over 100 miles per hour. It's Jacob DeGrom and then everybody else. Not even close, yeah. It's not even close. He was, like, beating them by, like, 40, like 40 50 pitches by the time he even went down in June. But mm -hmm. DeGrom, the one thing I will say about last year is the injury was lagging. He would get taken out of a start and then make his start the next start. Same thing would happen again. The whole thing was very suspect. You never actually heard what was wrong with the man. There was rumors like his UCL or whatever, but you never heard what the actual injury was. My personal opinion, I think Jacob Durham was trying to pitch through it because that's the type of guy he is. And it just kept getting worse. He never gave himself the time to recover. And it was, it was a downhill slope. But now we're talking, he hasn't thrown in what, maybe eight months. Obviously, he's been doing his side work, but he hasn't been pitching in about seven, eight months. This guy should be healthy. And before last year, he was consistent. So I don't think Jacob DeGrom should necessarily be labeled as an injury-prone type guy yet. But, you know, the velocity numbers are concerning, but I have faith in DeGrom. I think he got his rest. I think he took care of it. He says he's healthy. So I'm, I'm ready to watch him hopefully have a 200-inning year. The velocity numbers are almost – they're so good, they're concerning. And they're not concerning because they're low. It's, it's, he's throwing so hard, that's what we're worried about. So, yeah, definitely let you go, Greg. But just wanted to clear it up. We're not worried. Velocity's not down. The velocity's so high that we're worried if it can be sustained or if it led in. Obviously, we're not doctors anything like that. But we are worried about our uh, fantastic pitcher number 48. So, go ahead, Greg. 
Isn't that amazing though? Imagine being an MLB pitcher and being like, Jake, you throw too hard, man. Like that's got to be kind of a good feeling in a way. But I, I, the thing with DeGrom that I've always seen is he, his, his delivery, his mechanics, the way he throws that hundred, it's so free and easy. He, it's, it looks effortless on him. And I guess you're right. You know, this, this past year, we kind of saw maybe he was revving it up a little too much, but that was DeGrom at 110%. If he goes to 90%, he's still going to be busting 99 out there every time, 98 with an 89 to 91 slider and all the other, everything else he's got. Like, it, I think he still can find that happy medium where his A minus stuff is still better than everybody else's. You know, I don't want to see 101 for the first 11 pitches of the game like he did that one time in Philly in the beginning of the year because clearly it did take a toll. But like this is us talking. I'm sure him, the staff, the pitching staff, and the coaching staff. Everyone sees this and is telling him it. And I know he's no fool. He's not out there trying to flaunt his his triple digits. You know, he's not that type of guy. He's not a showboaty guy. At this point, he wants to win. He will do whatever is necessary to win. I think so. He, I think he'll make an adjustment. We just gotta, you know, wish wish for good health and and everything will go forward. Yeah, absolutely. Just fingers crossed for good health for DeGrom, and he'll be right up there. Cy Young candidate, all-star again. He's a fantastic pitcher, very talented. We're so happy to have him on the New York Mets. Um, I think we're basically for a wrap tonight. I know one thing we did want to say, we're going around the MLB a little bit. Uh, we got Nelly Cruz, went to the Nationals, so he'll be in Division DH. Uh, excited to see DeGrom and Scherzer strike him out. Um, David Peterson, any of those lefty starters, they are very much in danger of being taken over the wall by Nelly Cruz. He crushes lefties, still has some pop left in that bat. Um, so that's one thing we want to get to, but basically a wrap. I'll let everybody say their final goodbyes. Connie, you go ahead. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, we talked a lot of Mets baseball tonight. If I were to just say one thing I'm most excited about in the past couple of weeks, it's the acquisition of Chris Bassett. I think he completes our rotation. I think Scherzer, DeGrom, Bassett, you know, we had a bullpen piece in the lineup we got, thinking optimistically, but it sounds like we should have a good year ahead of us. So I'm very excited for Mets baseball. I think we got the right man at the helm and Buck Showalter. And, you know, good days are ahead, man. Like I said in the beginning of the pod, it's becoming the best time of the year. You know, the weather's getting nicer around here. We're seeing the guys show up at spring training in, uh, in Florida on social media and just seeing the guys – out on the field, it's it's getting you ready for what's to come. We got the first game, what is it, Friday or Saturday? Just even though, you know, they don't, you know, put out the best lineup the whole time, it's still going to be exciting to watch. I can't wait for it. And we're, what, four weeks away, three, three and a half weeks away. Can't wait for baseball, boys. Absolutely, yeah. We're a month away from the Mets home openers. So, you know, we're very excited for that. Spring training starts on Saturday. Won't be televised, but we're very anxious to see our Mets back on the field. Um, we'll be at some games this uh, spring, as always, you know, so make sure to check that out on Twitter. Um, and then I'll also be on the lookout. Our next podcast will probably be in about two weeks. We'll probably do a mid-spring training review and then one right before the season kicks off. Um, I believe our first game is April 7th, I think. That's when uh, MLB starts. But I know home opener is the 15th. Tom Seaver statue will be in attendance. Very excited for that. So thank you all for tuning in to Season 2, Episode 2 of Mets Mafia. Uh, everybody have a great night. Let's go Mets.